Hello and welcome to You Got This, a podcast about teaching and learning and pivoting to digital for the whole TRU community. I'm your host, Brenna Clark Gray, Coordinator of Educational Technologies, and this podcast is a project of your friends over at Learning Technology and Innovation. We're housed within open learning, but we support the whole campus community. I record this podcast in Tkumloops-Tay-Suetmuk within the unceded traditional lands of Suetmukulu, where I hope to learn and grow in community with all of you. And today's episode is about making mistakes or giving yourself permission to take a reset. I think that you get to give yourself permission to take a reset right now. So let's get into it. It is week six, everyone, and let's just pat ourselves on the back for making it this far. If everyone is still staying afloat, you're doing well. You really are. This has been a tremendous challenge for everyone. I have noticed in the last few weeks a bit of an uptick in the tickets and in the emails to me personally talking about how things just aren't working. Certain aspects of the course maybe just aren't landing right now. The discussion prompts aren't getting the response that you'd hoped or something that you thought would work really well as a quiz. Now you're sort of wishing you would set up as an assignment. Um, you had great ideas for building some H5P formative learning exercises and they didn't really materialize. And you're feeling a little bit at sea. That seems to be pretty common across campus right now. A sense that if things aren't going well, you feel kind of stuck. I want to give you permission to unstick yourself <laughs> today. No, no. I'm going to leave that in because it's really bad and I'm talking about mistakes, but oof. I do want to talk about mistakes or about those things that aren't going so well in your courses, things that felt like a great idea back in June, and now you're looking at six, seven, eight more weeks of a particular exercise or a particular strategy, and you're dreading it because it's not working for you right now. I think it's really okay to let things go. I said this at the end of the episode last week, but it bears repeating. I think maybe we can all never hear this enough too much. Nobody expected you to get this right on the first try. Maybe you expected it of yourself, but that was unrealistic. My first semester teaching online was a bit of a dog's breakfast. Um, I think the student experience was ultimately okay because I did shift gears once mid-semester to really scale back my assessments, but I was asking my students to do way too much the first time I taught online, like way too much. I had reading responses for every book and discussion posts every week, and I had six novels. Um, I had students going out to find a film because I couldn't get it digitized in time, and I was just like, well, everybody can just go to their library not actually true, especially not true right now. This was years ago, and I still remember turning on my computer one afternoon to check in on my online course 
and just feeling this sense of dread in the pit of my stomach. Like I knew things weren't working. I didn't know how to fix it. And I didn't know if it was okay to admit that I had screwed it up. The thing that I realized, and it took a couple weeks, it took a couple weeks of flailing, but the thing that I realized is that it was not a secret to my students <laughs> that things weren't working, right? That opening up that conversation with my class didn't amount to me pointing an arrow at my failure. It amounted to me pointing an arrow at my humanity, that I had made some mistakes in the course design and that I wanted to reset. I've noticed over the years that students rarely complain when you scale back a course. <laughs> so in the case of this class, I changed the discussion posts to every second week. Um, I dropped the final novel of the course and I changed the marking scheme for the reader responses so that students could drop any two that they wanted to. I was effectively scaling back the volume so that students could take a breath. I was scaling back the volume so that I could take a breath, but pretty much every student was advantaged by that. Or, you know, the students who had been doing really well in the discussions and things, they were neutral. But those who had been struggling to keep up with the word count were suddenly having a little bit more breathing room. Nobody complained. I've done it in other classes where I've decided that just based on things that were going on on campus and the kinds of loads my students were carrying, I'm thinking particularly when I was teaching a race and gender course in the fall of 2016, race, gender, and political power in the fall of 2016, you can imagine what November felt like for many of the students in that class. You can make a final assessment optional so that students who still need a Hail Mary pass can do it, but students who are doing okay in the class can just kind of take a step back and, and not choose not to. There are ways to redesign your course that don't negatively impact students, even once you're in midstream. I don't say that because necessarily all of those choices are right for everyone, but I just want to talk about the fact that sometimes as instructors, we feel like we have to know everything. We feel like we have to nail it. And I don't know. I'm not sure that's ever been a realistic expectation, but it's especially not right now. If you're brand new to fully online teaching, the odds that your first course out of the gate were going to be anything better than fine <laughs> were pretty slim, right? And I say that with all the love in the world and as someone who has worked hard with all of you to make this the best possible experience that we can for our students. I think... Students can be quite empowered by the experience of having an instructor say, hey, I don't think what we're doing is working anymore, and I want to give you a chance to try something different. Are you with me? Last week on the show, Nathan talked a lot about the need to check in with students, and I think that that is still true. It's worth talking to students about what's working and what's not working and giving yourself permission to make a change to make a refresh, to make a reset. As long as you're not doing it in a way that disadvantages students, 
I think that it's okay, especially now, to acknowledge when things aren't going the way we had hoped. You're going to need support for that work. I get that. And I'm here, but I only know so much. The people who know everything are the instructional designers here at TRU. I've invited Melissa Jakobek and Michelle Harrison, who are both instructional designers in open learning, to come and talk about a resource that they built for faculty called Teaching Without Walls. It's a phenomenal resource and a place where you can go if what needs to happen right now is a little bit of a reset. It's got great ideas, great strategies, and it comes from a place of deep concern about community and about care for our students. So I'm going to get Melissa and Michelle to tell you the rest. Here's our chat. Okay, I am here with Melissa Jakubik and Michelle Harrison, who are going to talk a little bit today about a resource that they developed over the summer uh, called Teaching Without Walls. We'll link to that in the show notes so you can check it out. But it's full of resources about how to build community, create assessments, how to just sort of move through the digital environment. Um, but before we do that, I'm going to ask both Melissa and Michelle to introduce themselves. So um, I'd love it if you could tell us who you are, you know, what your official title is, and then how people might typically interact with you on campus. Um, Melissa, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, I'm Melissa Jakubek, and I'm a principal instructional designer in open learning and a co-chair of the learning design and innovations department. And I have been at TRU for almost 30 years, so the last 15 or so I've been, oh, almost exactly 15 actually, I've been in open learning as an instructional designer and the previous 15 I spent primarily teaching English as a second language in that department. Hi everyone, I'm Michelle Harrison and I'm a senior instructional designer in open learning and I've been at TRU for almost 15 years and um, Mostly my background was before being an instructional designer, I was a K-12 teacher and taught biology and science. So have worked quite a bit in those areas in my role in open learning. Right on. Thank you both. Um, and, so and she's this... also she's also <laughs> an associate professor and my co-chair. Oh right. Oh, yeah. I'm an assistant, <laughs> assistant professor. Um, yes, oh, I did. Oh, sorry. I changed to a tripartite role about a year ago, so I'm also able to do research and have been focusing on um, openness and the role of openness in instructional design and learning design in, for environments. Um, so yeah, I'm also doing that, so that's fun. <laughs> Fantastic, thank you both. Um, so I invited you on because we're talking this week about letting go of things that aren't working and the courses um, and embracing new techniques or trying out new techniques. Um, now that we're at about week six, I think we're definitely getting tickets in at Moodle support that are like, the way I set up this quiz didn't work and now I'm panicking. Um, so I wanted to talk to folks again about some of the available resources. Um, and your Teaching Without Walls press book you put together over the summer, I believe. Um, what made you guys decide to put together a resource like this for the campus community and beyond? 
one of the things that we were seeing um, is all of these resources put together by so many different institutions. And at TRU, we were doing, um, especially your group, Brenna, we're doing so many webinars. Um, so there seemed to be a lot of pieces hanging around. And what we wanted to do was try to gather it all in um, sort of one place that uh, could be a, you know, a go-to section. And um, this resource was one of, uh, based on one that was shared and it was an OER, which is amazing. So you could take it and you could adapt it. Um, so when we were talking about ways we could help support um, faculty on campus, we thought, well, putting together a resource um, from other resources, and it also includes uh, resources from Kwantlen, from Humber. So taking all those pieces that are amazing and putting them together, I, we thought would be helpful. Michelle, I think um, we, we were just looking at a lot of different resources, and I think Michelle stumbled upon this one. And uh, we just want to make sure we give credit to Allison Flynn and Jeremy Kerr, mm -hmm. who created the original remote teaching. And they're both professors at the University of Ottawa. So this is a, a great example of what open resources are for, right? You found a resource that was good and you found these other resources out in the world and you brought them together into one shared resource that has particularly TRU contexts around things like, you know, learning outcomes and, and how those pieces function at TRU. Um, but but giving people a, a chance to see all of that in one place, which I think is really useful. I particularly appreciated that you gave an entire section of the resource over to this idea of nurturing community um, and helping students build community. I wonder if either one of you or both wanted to say a bit more about the role of community in learning, particularly in this moment where, where folks are so dispersed and disparate. I think um, community probably is something that um, most instructors think about, or they might not think about it, but they plan for it in their face-to-face. -face. But I think mm -hmm. it just takes that much more in an online environment planning-wise. So I think even when we were back doing our webinars, um, building community that first week sets the entire tone for the rest of your course. And it's um, just a particular way that you can do it online and engage students and get them, getting them to bring themselves into that online space, I think really helps to set that tone. Um, and we did a session like on that crucial first week because it is that crucial first week and you want everything to go really um, well. So you're, you're designing activities um, and really pre-thinking how you're gonna set up that community and how people are gonna communicate and contact one another throughout the whole course. Mm -hmm. I think that just needs to be more explicit online than in face-to-face. -face. There are things that you can do just in time in your face-to-face -face and check in and all of that stuff that you just do naturally that it, you have to plan. Yeah, and I think face-to-face -face, students have that possibility of talking to each other in the hallway or running into each other in the um, coffee lineup and making those connections. And so I think that's probably what concerns me most about our first year students who have traveled potentially or are sitting at home in another community. And if they're not getting those connections online, which are very possible, but they do have to be intentional. And I think if instructors are finding things uh, difficult at this point, it's not too late. It's never too late to mm -hmm. go back 
and, and try to have a, a reset time because students can't, you know, you can't expect them to find a partner on their own if they have never, you know, had that face-to-face -face contact and yet they haven't had any effort put in on the part of the instructor to building that community. Uh, I know I heard an instance where the instructor made the icebreaker optional. So mm -hmm. they decided, you know, nobody said yes, they wanted to do it. Well, you know, those first year students are now disconnected from each other in, in ways that will be detrimental to their actual learning and retention and continuing on the next semester. And I think that's really important for us to pay attention to right now in particular, because, you know, moving into the winter, it's going to be online again. So if we want to retain our students, we have to be really caring. Considering that students are also dealing with a lot of other stressors at this moment mm -hmm. than their courses. So I, I don't know that any kind of allowances have really been, been made. And I think there was a, a lot of push about asynchronous and, and uh, maintaining, you know, not putting a lot of pressure on the bandwidth of the technology that we have. But there are still ways of using synchronicity to build connections that aren't uh, lecture. Mm -hmm. and, and I think, you know, if people, you know, this is a great time to survey your students and ask what's working for you and what isn't, because I have witnessed some things that I will attest are not working. <laughs> Um, I like a couple of things that you said there. I like the um, reinforcement of community that Michelle put forward. And also, Melissa, your point that it's not too late to start building those things. And um, we had Nathan on the show last week from the Student Union, and he was saying, you know, people need to ask students what's working and what's not working, and then they need to ask again. Like, this is a negotiation that we're all working through together. Um I guess I think folks get really nervous about that idea of changing what they're doing midstream for a bunch of reasons. Everybody's workload is crazy right now, for sure. And also, I think um, there's a sense of anxiety around sort of saying you don't know or you didn't get it right the first time. And, and changing is sort of an admission of that, maybe whether we're thinking about it consciously or not. Um, I wonder if you both could speak from the perspective of instructional designers about things that faculty could do even now at the week six point um, to bring a classroom together if things don't seem to be working. Are there, are there things that you can su suggest? I know it's kind of in the abstract, but sort of tried and true strategies that will help faculty get reconnected with students if that hasn't happened yet for them? I would say one of the things, and this is building on what Melissa was saying, is, you know, maybe rethink what your use of synchronicity is for. Mm. So if possibly right now you've been using it as a time maybe just to, to lecture, maybe you take 10 minutes at the beginning of that to check in with students and provide them with time to ask questions um, or just have an informal check-in. Mm -hmm. Or also another thing you could do is create an asynchronous space that's a little less formal where students could check in with each other or with you um, just to um, ask questions or um, sort of attend to that what we term usually as um, that social presence piece. Mm -hmm. um, we 
probably talked about it a little bit in previous sessions, but there is a model called the community of inquiry that's been used extensively. And it looks at um, the importance of social presence in creating community and taking the time to allow people to be comfortable with one another and provide support is really, really important. So maybe, Melissa, you have ideas about specifics about how you'd bring that social presence in at this time. Yeah, and I think it, it really depends what's gone on to date in in that um, in those, how many weeks has it been now? Four? Six. Six? Six? No. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, so thinking back what, what they've done so far, but I think, you know, if you've got a, a an activity that's spanning the rest of the semester or a group project and you need to pair students up, this is maybe a time where you dig out an icebreaker to make connections, to allow students to find commonalities with each other. It can be synchronous or through the discussion forum, you know, maybe even something as simple as you're going to a dinner party, um, share what you would take. And then students could see if, if their option was dessert, maybe you group the dessert people into one group to work on a project. So it's just a, a different way of sorting groups, but mm -hmm. it is a little bit lighter. It could be something else. They might share a picture out of their window and then maybe, or a, a picture of a view that is important to them. And maybe the beachscapes go together, the mountainscapes go together, those kinds of things. Um, That's fun. I like that. Else, a bit more practical as well. Uh, and we did share a lot of icebreakers in our, our session on building that crucial first week that, you know, I think are, are good warm-up activities too. So I think icebreakers is, is a bad word to use, actually. I should have called them warm-up activities. And I used to do that at the beginning of every class I taught. Um, I think Michelle's commented on the community inquiry. And uh, from my ESL background, we we took a lot to heart from Paolo Freire and Gertrude Moskowitz's book called Caring and Sharing in the Foreign Language Classroom. And that has stuck with me for 30 plus years from my undergrad days. And I think it's really important that that as an instructor, if you haven't been human with your class to date, mm -hmm. take a minute and, and do that. Mm -hmm. uh, be human. Give them some insight into the challenges that you're facing and, and be open. And I think that can also help change the tune and I know it's hard it's hard to be vulnerable and um, you know you're in that position where students also might be judging but students I think respond well if, if you're human and you smile and you show them that you care and I think that's that's really critical so I don't know if I've helped with with that as a, a refocusing tool but I mean there are definitely ways and I still think ask them what's working um, because if you're lecturing for two hours and you're not really pausing to let them ask questions and then you're giving them something that has them apply the knowledge and they haven't understood your lecture because you were going too fast mm -hmm. synchronously, um, you know, you, you can use that feedback and, and tailor your, your things. I think if you're doing long synchronous sessions, break those up. Um, I know you had Karen... Densky as a guest and mm -hmm. I was talking to her about her course over the summer and she had you know long synchronous sessions but she broke them up and she mm -hmm. used her breakout rooms really well and if you're teaching and you throw students throw them <laughs> you know give them some time I think that's something it's really hard as an instructor and I can only imagine it's even harder online but you have to give them the time to do the work so don't give them five minutes 
and think it's going to happen. It's going to take them longer to warm up in that warm up in that breakout room to actually accomplish something. So give them 15 minutes on the task and then mm -hmm. call them back in to, to regroup and give them time to, to answer before you answer. It's, it's that critical wait time. It's really important uh, when you're working with uh, English as an additional language speakers, but it's also really important for shy students, for students who aren't comfortable with the online environment. And, and that's where the asynchronous discussion forums often do allow students to participate more fully um, and for everybody to, to contribute. Sorry, I've rambled. I've rambled. No, no, not at all. I was just thinking that, you know, you're both talking about uh, a maybe more judicious or carefully thought through use of the synchronous tools. It's not the best method for content delivery, right? If you've only got a precious two hours of synchronous contact with students, maybe you don't want to spend that in a monologue, right? Um, I'm struck by some of your suggestions, Melissa, and also by what Michelle was saying in terms of the the sort of significance of the social presence in the classroom. I think when I talk to students who are feeling overwhelmed, it seems to me that in the panic to cover all the content, which there does seem to be a certain amount of panic around coverage right now, um, it's those social pieces that are going by the wayside. And I, I wonder... Michelle, I'll link to the um, article about community of um, inquiry. That sounded really smart. I will link to the article about community of inquiry, but I wonder if you could say a little bit more about why we need that social presence as part of the learning process. I think it's about creating um, spaces of safety and comfort. And until we have that, we don't feel that we can share. So... Um, I think that, you know, when you use humor, when you actually acknowledge other people's um, contributions, when you acknowledge their ideas, just say, hey, that was a great idea. I really liked it. Just that makes other people feel comfortable and they're willing to share more. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that social presence piece, if it doesn't happen, then you don't actually get to move to any of that cognitive engagement. Um, if that's what you're looking for, people to interact and connect with one another. So it's creating um, those spaces of caring and safety and welcome, like it's a welcome as mm -hmm. well to a learning space where we're going to all learn from each other together. I think it's really valuable to say that explicitly because um, for folks who may be, you know, like many of us come to teaching in post-secondary without any teaching background at all, I think sometimes those things seem frivolous, right? They seem like extras. Um Melissa, I like your description about it as just being human. <laughs> like we just need to have human connection. And especially right now when so many of us are so isolated, right? Yeah. And if you're wanting students to take a risk and realistically in an online class, even raising your hand or making a comment on someone's post in a discussion forum is taking a personal risk mm -hmm. that they may not feel a lot of comfort with um you need to they there has to be a base comfort level for them to be able to do that yeah i i really appreciate it. i wasn't expecting to talk so much about community today and i'm really glad that we did because i'm noticing in a lot of the 
anxiety that I see, whether it's people worried that students aren't participating enough or students feeling like their workload is not being seen or understood, um, that like at the core, these are all issues of community that, that hasn't been built effectively yet and that is causing additional struggle for students. And I would also say one of the things, um, uh, and this is not really specifically about social presence, but is thinking about deadlines and due dates and recognition of workload, going back to mm-hmm. that culture of care. I know when I was teaching an online course in during the pandemic, um, I did allow for a lot more flexibility and deadlines. Mm-hmm. And it might have even just been a few days, but that's all it took. And it, I had so much thanks, just that I had recognized um, where people were and what they needed in that moment. So that might be something people can mm-hmm. consider as well. This is a different um, people, as Melissa said earlier, there's a lot of other stuff going on right now in people's lives. Yeah, I really loved the section of the press book about considering how the pandemic affects students. It's it's just not business as usual. It just can't be. It isn't for any of us. You know, <laughs> you guys have a great infographic in the book there, and it's like these are things students may not have access to. A printer. I had a conversation with an instructor in office hours the other day, and he was like, I don't understand why students don't have a printer. And I said to him, I don't have a printer. (laughs) I don't have a printer. I printed when things needed to be printed. I printed them at work. Like It's one of the perks of full-time employment, I feel like, is the ability to use a printer. I don't have a printer. I can't print out an exam and fill it in and scan it, which was his expectation was that students would be able to do that. Um, But also just like, you know, we're a workplace they can work in. We've talked about this before and, and the safety of the space that they're in. And these are all things that we need to be thinking about, but it can be, Michelle, as you point out something as relatively simple from the instructor's perspective as being a bit more flexible about deadlines and expectations. Yeah, and I um, believe we had some Google forms in the book too, where they could survey the students to see what they did have access to and what they weren't going to have access to. Oh, that's and, good. And the students could, you know, the instructor could do that at the start. So they had a baseline um, because it's definitely true. Not everybody even has access to an actual computer. No. So are students writing term papers on their, their phones? And the, the time difference is also mentioned. And, you know, I, I actually know students who've moved to Ontario because they didn't want to have to get up at 530 in the morning to go to class in BC. Oof. Right. Yep. Uh, you know, it, there's just a lot of things to think about, and I think that's really important, and that's why we uh, put so much emphasis on building community and the culture of care in the resource, and we were building on what uh, Jeremy and Allison had already created, and I think both Michelle and I really care about our TRU community and mm. our colleagues, and that's what prompted us to spend the time uh, this summer uh, contributing and, and incorporating stuff from your summer camp and the sessions the IDs had led and just adapting the materials to our own learning management system because they were created for Brightspace and and all of those things that went into it was because we care so much about our community and our students. I really appreciate that and it comes through in the resource and uh, and it comes through in you taking the time to chat with me about it today. Um, if instructors want to get in touch with learning designers because they they need to think through final assessments or they've realized something isn't working, um, how do they get a hold of you if they need a little help? Learning design at tru.ca um, or either of us individually as well. 
and we will make sure that um, one of our instructional design members contacts them for one-on-one -on -one help. Fantastic. I will include that email in the show notes to today's episode so people can uh, find you guys. Uh, and we have helped quite a few people. <laughs> I know you have. I'm very grateful. We would not have survived the pivot without the support of the instructional designers. There's no doubt about that. Thanks for having us. And yeah, we hope that people find the resource helpful. And um, yeah, there's all kinds of, as Melissa was saying, like on the Getting Started page, there's forms that might help you design a um, survey for your students. There's, you know, really good graphics that was that were developed and in the other resource that um, look at best practices for asynchronous versus synchronous that are really quick. So there's lots of things that you can take away um, and use, I think, quite quickly in the resource. And everything in the resource is an OER. So all the forms are in an editable form. So professors can adapt them to their own needs. Um, and I should also just uh, do a plug, there's a, a full section on learning activities and we had some very useful things from Quantlin there, but I also, we've got a link to my sabbatical project, which is a, oh, yeah. an OER repository of learning activity designs uh, that can be adapted, remixed. Um, but there, there's just a lot of examples there of different kinds of activities and you can contribute your own. Um, back. And then I think Quantlin had a really nice table of learning outcomes and sort of looking at how activities might have been face-to-face -face and what could happen online. So there's lots there in the learning activities section as well. Yeah, it's really rich. And I'm actually going to include the link to the Remix, Reuse, Reshare resource separately from the book. So if people are just looking for some activity ideas, they can you can actually start right there. And we're open for feedback, too. So if people have feedback on the book, they can email us at learningdesign@tru.ca if they've got requests like, hey, I would like more here, or do you have a suggestion for X, Y, or Z? Uh, let us know, and we can work on that. Awesome. Thank you again both so much for the time and the chat today and for the resource. It's fantastic, and I know that people will get really good use out of it. So thank you. You're welcome. And I hope people know they can download the resource and so it's available offline as well as online it um, is downloaded in the form it is as of that moment so if we make changes you know it's something you might want to go back to and check out and see because things will evolve but it was meant to be something that was more portable as well than always having to go uh, to Moodle to find out information. Yeah, it's nice because you can just download it to your tablet or your phone and you have it with you wherever you like to read. It's handy to have. Okay, thanks so much you guys. So that's it for episode seven of You Got This. As always, if you want to write to us, you can email me, bgray at tru.ca. And I'm also on Twitter, at Brenna C. Gray. In both cases, that's gray with an A. All of our show notes and transcripts are posted at yougotthis.trubox.ca. And of course, you can always comment on individual episodes there. I'm going to leave you today with a tiny teaching tip. Maybe a bit of a self-reflection exercise for you. What's not working right now? I'm guessing there's something. I think right now there's something that's not working for everyone. I'm looking at my inbox and I'm telling you, I've got to do some real soul searching about workflow because I am not getting through my daily tasks. What I'd like you to do if you're up for it, 
is to spend a minute reflecting on what's worked so far this semester and what hasn't. Is there a quiz that you thought students would nail and they just didn't? Is there an assignment where everyone seemed to miss the expectation? Are you getting feedback from students that they're overwhelmed? Whatever the thing is, can you admit to yourself that you gave it the old college try, but it's time to do something new and make that revision to your course? It's a brave thing to do, to change midstream. And to invite your students into the conversation about what's working and not working in the classroom can be truly terrifying. But we need each other. We need to trust each other. And we need to all be part of that conversation if we want the learning to really work. So this week, I'm inviting you to find something in your course that's not working and be brave enough to make a change. I'd love to hear about it if you want to send me a note. I'd love to talk through solutions for it if you need my help. But I know you got this. I know you're brave. I know that you know that vulnerability is powerful. So I'm going to let you loose with that for now. And until next time, I'm just grateful to know you all. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>